There we go. Why would we have veterans? You know, so we, we're honoring veterans, and we know it's something that has to happen. We have people who serve and give, and, uh, you know, really, in a lot of ways, sacrifice. We're just talking to one of my soccer families, and the mom is about to go to Iraq for a year. And they have little kids, and, you know, just can you imagine a whole year gone from your family? And so, so why would we do that? Why would we call, ask people to do this, and what's the need? Well, it's, it should be obvious enough, right? You don't need a military if you live in a safe, comfortable world in which there is no threat. But the reality is, we live in a world where there is a threat. There are dangerous people out there. There's dangerous ideologies out there. And very often, we are at war with, with other nations, and we're in conflict. And so, therefore, we have to ask our people to step up and serve and, and defend our country and, and, and move our interests or whatever into other places of the world or whatever it is. Uh, whether you agree with everything or not, we would all agree that there is a need. That, and, and so the, the need says we must have veterans. Now here's the thing. It is no less true for God's people. God's word is absolutely clear we are not in a safe, comfortable environment. We are in a hostile environment. We are in a, in a world in which we are at war. Paul tells us in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood alone, but against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the uh, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so he lets us know that we are, we're, we're in a battle. There's a battle raging for our hearts and for our souls. And, and so here's the thing. Like physical battles tend to be fought for locations, positions, uh, strongholds, uh, or those types of things. And, and, but in a spiritual war... The war is over, as we've said time and time again throughout this series, the war is over who's telling the story. And what is the story? Who's writing history? And what stories are forming us in our hearts? And that's what John has been doing in this letter. He's like, he said, we have heard and we've seen when, when the message that we've heard from the beginning. I like he's talking about the Bible's message, that gospel message that we have heard from the beginning. We saw its climax. We touched him. We, we sat with him. We saw him with our own eyes. And he's talking about Jesus. And he's saying that we saw him. We saw that what God has been doing all this time has now actually been accomplished in Jesus and his death and resurrection. And then he tells us that we need to abide in that story. That it needs to form who we are as people. And however, like we just said, that there are nemesis narratives. We said it. There are competing stories that want to choke out that message want to choke out those realities and want to as as uh, one one guy that we i mentioned wants to put the pill like snuff out like a pillow choke out the truth of the gospel in our hearts and it may sound and feel good as the pillow comes on but it's suffocating and chokes it out 
And so, what is the story? The narrative that forms our heart. That is the battle. We saw it from the beginning. I'll go back real quick to Genesis chapter 3. You remember? The battle started there. Adam and Eve are there in the garden, and God has commanded them how to live and who to be. And he's basically said, I want you to, to obey me and trust me, and, and, but I don't want you to eat of this one thing. I want you to this one thing you shouldn't do. And what does the enemy do? Right away, the serpent comes. And what does he do? He doesn't, he doesn't attack them physically. He doesn't even deny that God exists. What does he say? Did God really say that? And that was, that's not even really a question. It's more of a sneer. You know what a sneer is? A sneer is like, like, really? You really believe that? That's how most people come at Christianity, is with a sneer, not necessarily with genuine questions. So the, the so enemy was challenging the story that God had told them, the narrative that God is good, that he, can, he will take care of you. You can trust him. He loves you. Instead, do you really believe that? Does God really have your best interest at hand? You know what? Maybe you're God. You could be like him. See the difference? Or, or think about, um, let's go, let's fast forward to Jesus' ministry. Actually, at the very beginning, right before, it says the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. Y'all remember this? And, and the same enemy comes. And what does he do? Does he say, God doesn't exist? Why do you believe that? That's stupid. No. What does he do? He quotes scripture. And he twists it. He twists it just enough, though. So he is trying to challenge the story and the narrative that Jesus himself was holding. And Jesus says, no. This is the real story. This is the true story. And so John has been challenging us to abide in the true story, the surpassing story. It's a better story than these, these false stories that form who we are as people. All right? And, and, but here's, here's the thing. So we are given, and he, what, here in this last installment, he gives us two, two basically commands or two tasks that we would do in order to help us abide and stay um, within the gospel truths. Okay? We are, so we are giving these tasks um, to stand in the battle for our hearts. Okay, so the first task is, do not believe every story. Don't believe every story. We see that, beloved, do not believe every spirit. Now, this I shouldn't have to tell you, but some some reason I feel like kind of have to sometimes, because, you know, have y'all, have y'all ever gotten the email from the Nigerian guy? Who wants to give you some thousands of dollars if you would take $10,000 into your bank account or whatever, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? People fall for that. All the time. And it's like, dude, don't believe everything you hear. And that's what he's saying here. Don't believe all the stories. And they might sound really good. They might be really close to the truth. Satan himself quoting scripture. So if he's quoting the Bible, it must be good, right? Not necessarily. And that's what he's saying here. Test it. So P.T. Barnum, you know, uh, you know, the greatest show, showman. Remember that? It was just out recently. That's about P.T. Barnum. P.T. Barnum started uh, the circus. 
And he, he was quoted saying one time that he made his own fortune on the belief that there's a sucker born every minute. And, and he's true. It's right, you know. It's like that guy really wasn't eight feet tall. These, these guys, you know, he believed that. Okay? So big news here. News flash. Not all the narratives are true. There really is fake news out there. And some of it's obvious. Some of it's like super obvious, super in your face. Some of it's not so much. Now, but someone would say, well, Russell, you know, to say that not everything's true and some things are true, isn't that exclusive? To say that there's one truth and that the rest isn't true? Isn't that just, you know, aren't you just arrogant? Like to say, you know, how can you say like there's only one way to God or whatever? And that, that is, let me tell you what, guys, that is super popular idea today. Oh, uh, there's many ways that leads to God. How can you say there's only one way? And as Christians, we're like, wow, no, that, it does sound like we're being kind of, kind of narrow-minded and, and uh, you know, not being open and whatever, generous to other people. But let, me, let me just challenge that idea real quick, okay? Because I've heard this over and over and over again. That there can't just be one truth. That always lead to God. That, that there's, there's a lot of different ways to live your life and get to where you're going or whatever. And they'll use an illustration. There's a couple of different illustrations. This one's probably the most popular. It's about an, uh, an elephant. Have you all heard this? It's about an elephant and, and uh, some blind men make their way to an elephant. I've always wondered if how they made their way there. Maybe they run into the side of it or something. Anyway, does it matter? Anyway, so one of them comes up to the elephant and he, he's feeling his, the elephant's trunk. And he's like, you know, elephants are a lot like snakes, I think. They're long and they kind of move around and, you know. So I think an elephant looks like a snake. And then the other one comes up and, and he ends up, he runs into the leg of the elephant. And he's like, no, 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 no. An elephant's like a tree. It looks like a tree trunk. And then the, the other one comes along and he runs into the side of the elephant and he's like, no, 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 no. An elephant's like a wall. And, and so here's the thing. So they're all experiencing the elephant, but they're just experiencing the same thing different ways. And so you can't really say that one of them's right and one of them's wrong. And that sounds pretty powerful, doesn't it? So it, it, the different religions, different faiths and philosophies and stuff, they're really saying this, basically the same thing. You know, that we're, they're all trying to achieve the same thing, just in different ways. That sounds really, that almost sounds impossible to, 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 to argue with, right? Here's the problem, though. Back up and, and wonder. The person saying about making this elephant, talking about this elephant, a good question to ask is, well, how do you know? Do you see the whole elephant? So you're not blind. So everybody but you are blind. You follow what I'm saying? I heard another way, just quickly, I mean, as, as a mountain. Talk about a mountain and that the different faiths and philosophies are like uh, um, trails heading up to the top of a mountain. And it's all basically going to the same place. And so one guy's over here on this trail and he looks over at the guy on another trail and says, man, you're going the wrong way. You're on the wrong trail. And he looked, no, he's like, no, you are. And they all arguing. And he said, that's what basically all the faiths and the things are saying. And, 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 but if they, would just, if they realize that they're all going to the same place. And here's the question. How do you know that? Are you in a, some kind of helicopter? 
looking over the situation. See, that's the pro- See how arrogant that is? To say that all ways are the same is, is a truth claim that is probably, is, if, if, if what they're saying is there's blind guys, is as blind as the blind guys. Okay? Truth claims are truth claims. And so instead of trying to dismiss everybody else arrogantly by saying they're all leading to the same place or they're all, you know, equally blind, but you're not, tell me, give me a good reason why you don't believe it. Follow what I'm saying? So, you cannot get outside of exclusivity. Everybody's exclusive. Let's just admit it and then begin to debate and talk about the differences and which one might be more plausible, which one makes more sense, so on. And that's where we are. So, is it, neg- is it, um, is, is, or we, are we exclusive by saying some truths are true and some are not? Okay? Okay, so, and so he, John is telling us, don't believe every spirit here. Okay? Now, notice that he uses the word spirit. What is he saying here? Because this is a point where I, my, my, my friends who really get into um, end time stuff, you know what I'm talking about? Like the, the um, Left Behind series and, you know, they, they have end time charts and stuff. You know, they, this is, they start breaking out the end times charts and, you know, they, it gets all apocalyptic and eschatological and they start talking about the theories of this, that, and the other. And they look at this passage and they get excited. Woo! You know, they, they see the word spirit. They see the word antichrist, and they're like, ooh, that's interesting. And they see the word uh, false prophet. And, uh, and let me tell you, uh, that stuff has its place. And he is alluding to those things in some measure. But he's really not talking about um, spir- like demonic spirits necessarily, if that makes sense here. Well, he's, talking, at least he's talking about something way, in my, my mind, way more dangerous. Way more subtle. He's saying, don't, he's saying, test the spirits. And what he's talking about is, test the, the philosophies, the, test the, the truth claims, test the stories, test the narratives. And then why would he link that up with spirits? And we've kind of mentioned this before, but spirits, excuse me, every belief, every narrative in your life is driven by a spiritual reality. Do you hear what I'm saying? There, there, every story, every belief, every, every narrative that's in your life has a value. And those values have a spiritual reality. You follow what I'm saying here? So every story, if you, even if you go into like movies, if you go into movies, you're going to see that stories are, have a value system. So for example... I'm a, I, I love Lord of the Rings, J.R. Tolkien. Anybody like the Lord of the Rings movies when they came out or whatever? Well, a lot of us who grew up reading those books and who really appreciated reading Tolkien's actual story struggled with it. I mean, in, in some ways, I loved it because it was super cool action, the, the, filmogra- the, the filmography, the, um, the CG. I mean, it was beautiful. It was really beautifully done. It was an amazing movies in a lot of ways. But one of the big problems a lot of us had with it was, was with the characters. And the characters just didn't match. Because what um, Peter Jackson and these guys were doing 
were, they were telling a story, but their, their whole value system, and their whole way of looking at the world was radically different than Tolkien. Tolkien was a Roman Catholic. Tolkien was a man of his times, in, in, in good and bad ways. And his worldview and his values were totally different. So, for example, in his books, characters are following and chasing after honor. And, and they're trying to honor their past and, their, you know, and so on. And, and in, the, in the movies, they are trying to find themselves. You know, um, you know, like Aragorn, for example. In the books, it was about honor and reclaiming the honor of his family. Because his, his dad had dishonored them. In the books, he's like a lost wanderer. He's, I'm good, I need to find myself. Should I be a king? Should I not be a king? That's modern. Like we, they didn't do that back then. He knew like he was that was he was he was either gonna honor his family or he wasn't. It wasn't like I'm gonna find myself. That's just not there. So you just see that even in just our, our, our narratives and movies and so on, they the values tell the story, and those values have a spiritual reality behind them. So, for example, in Matthew chapter 16, we've referred to this in the past. Um, Matthew 16, Jesus. Um, Ask them, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, you are the, the Christ. You are, the, you are Elijah. You're, or you are all these things. And then uh, Peter says, no, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus says, um, you are right. And upon this rock, I'll build my church. And then all of a sudden, turns around, and Jesus starts to talk about how he needs to go to Jerusalem to suffer and die. And Peter says, Peter rebukes him. Peter rebukes Jesus. Can you imagine that now? Like, really? He rebukes Jesus. He says, no, you can't go to Jerusalem. You can't do that. You can't go there and die. You're our king. You can't, you're the Messiah. You can't die. And what Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. That's harsh. Okay? Why would, it was, I don't think Jesus was mad that he rebuked him. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't having a, like, he wasn't blowing up on him. Okay, what, what Jesus was saying was, you are resisting God's plan to take me to the cross to die on behalf of other people. And you are resisting that. You are resisting the cross. And then because of that, you are, you are enlightening yourself with more, another value and another story. A story that would say, no, God doesn't. God didn't send His Son Jesus to die for our sins and be raised to life so that we might be His sons and daughters. That, that's not the story. The story is Peter's story was: I'm a Jew. The Romans are in charge. We want to kick those dang Romans out of here and and get back to things as they should be. And hopefully, in the process, because I'm, I'm with I'm with Messiah now, I'll get a nice little position up in there. You know what I mean? I'll get me a cabinet role. That was that was Peter's story. That seems, that seems normal enough, right? That he would want the Romans out of there and have you know, peace and prosperity for his people and that his family would be safe. All these amazing values and he could finally get back to home and get that white picket fence painted and all that good stuff. You know, and then they could go to Disney in the summer. Not to worry about all this stuff and high taxes and all this stuff and their women being abused and whatever else. Those are all good things. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He aligns Peter's story with a spiritual reality. 
Tim Keller said, therefore, resistance to the cross is to be in league with the enemy. When we resist the cross, so even in our own lives, we may be resisting the gospel, resisting God himself. So we need to, be, we need to see the danger, the subtle ways we can tend to resist the gospel. And let me just tell you, I'm, I'm terrified in some ways for the church in the U.S. Because it's hard soil. Like, so here in Oakleaf, we, we are recognizing how hard the soil is here. Because what people really want is to get on with their lives, have a good little comfortable life, and, and then the, the church comes along and says, well, we'll give you free stuff. You know, we'll give you, we'll tickle your ears, and we'll help you achieve your goals, your life goals of success. Let me tell you, that is, it sounds good. Because they quote the Bible, and they talk positive things, and they, they try to uplift you and give you things that will make you feel good about yourself. But let me tell you what. It is subtle, subtly very, very dangerous. We, we minimize it, but it is very dangerous. The subtle ways we resist the gospel are very dangerous. So, John tells us then to therefore test every spirit. Test every spirit. And so this word test is to, to weigh, to evaluate, to, to, to measure, to make sure that it is authentic. Okay, And so therefore, first of all, it means we need to first recognize the narratives that potentially are influencing us. So can I be a guinea pig this morning? Is that okay? You know, some pastors don't do this stuff, but so this morning, you know, like I get up here and you know, uh, we're, we're shorthanded to set up. You know, I had oh, I had to jump off the truck. That was the first thing. I'm, you know, I'm kind of tired. I'm already, and I, I was leaving early because I was thinking I'm gonna try to get get ahead today. I get over there, the dang truck won't start. So you know, here I am, you know, with the jumper cables, doing all that, and I get over here, and we're shorthanded, and you know, and I get out of here late. Um, get home and I, I, I can't find something I was looking for for today. I'm struggling. The printer's not working right. You, come on, let's, you're with me. Y'all had these days. And then, um, uh, then I go out to get into my our Honda Pilot. Guess what? Click, 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 click. Are you kidding me? So anyway, and so yeah, get over. And so on in this process on the way on the way over here, I'm in the car with my Amanda. And it just occurred to me. Actually, she challenged me. She says, Russell, don't you know? She didn't know what I'm preaching on. I don't even know if I told her. She's doing her thing. I'm doing my thing today, you know. Uh, and she said, you know, we're at war. And I, it just occurred to me. I was like, oh, my gosh. I was going on another. I was, I was operating on another narrative. Another narrative that said, you know, Russell, you deserve more than this. You, you deserve better than this. You deserve to, you know, for everything to go smooth, you know, and everybody to like your preaching, and, you, you know, and, and everybody to show up on time and do what they're supposed to do, and, you know, tons of people, and growing, and doing all these things, and, you know, you just, you deserve that, Russell. Do I? I mean, let's, let's just stop there, because, I mean, I, I see y'all smirking a little bit here. But we think this way, don't we? Why don't I? And, and so in this, and let's, just, let's just enlarge this idea. So I deserve better 
than my Savior Jesus. He was rejected, scorned, mocked, beaten, killed. For me. But I deserve better. I deserve things to go smooth and comfortable and whatever. And that, that's, see the narrative there? There's a narrative that is, has a spiritual reality to it. It's a narrative that says, God isn't my father. God really doesn't care about you. you. You need to fight, scratch, and battle for what you need and what you have. You're on this alone. And that, that, that is a, a, a nemesis narrative that chokes out the beauty of the gospel. Instead of maybe going through the emotions this morning and saying, you know, click, click, doesn't work. You know, thank you, Lord. Because one of the things I meant to say in the previous sermon was, you know, when, because, um, because there are these nemesis narratives, and, but there is a surpassing narrative that says we are called, we saw last week, we are, he gives what love the Father had, that he would call us children of God. We are his children. That is a position. It's not something you earn. And not only that, we, we look into hope of one day we are going to see Jesus, not, not anymore dimly through faith or through the word, we are going to see him face to face, and we're going to see all the joy, beauty, and splendor, and glory of God in all of its fullness in Jesus, and we are going to be transformed to be just like him. No more sin, no more brokenness, no more hurting, no more pain, and so on. And now, because we, we, we can hope in that, it talks about those who hope in that will, be, will purify themselves because He is pure. And so just hoping in it, just trusting in that, will change you now. will begin to elevate you above the petty narratives of this world. And here's the thing. And in that, suffering is a gift. Do you hear that? Suffering is a gift that, that teaches you to not trust in these lesser stories, these lesser glories. As we said last week, the mud pies and the slums. Trusting in that as opposed to the glories to be revealed, the holiday at the beach. And if I had rested in that, I would, I would have had some peace and joy. You know, and I wouldn't have snapped at my wife or my kids. All that stuff, right? I would have been able to love others in the moment. So John tells us we are need to, to test the Spirit. He's saying that there's counter gospels, counter messages out there that are going to look and smell and feel very much like the gospel. But they, they're going to be just twisted enough. We've got to be really careful there because... Yes, there are cults out there. There's, there's demon worshipers and Satan worshipers. And there's all that. There's stuff that's obviously not true. Right? Y'all with me on that? Okay. And, you know, that, that he's, and he's not talking about that here. When he starts talking about this anti-Christ here, he's saying anything that opposes Christ in the gospel. Um, they're going to sound good. So let's, let's look. What are some of the narratives? Family is the most important thing in life. Success will make you happy. Um, uh, what else? Um, lost my place. But just go through the list. Success. Marriage. My marriage is where I... My wealth, career, 
my kids. All these things are put up, and those are put up as counter saviors. If I could only get blank, if I could only achieve this, if I could only have that, and the problem is, they will not give you what you really hope for. And so, we need to test every narrative, every truth claim, every belief. We need to constantly be weighing our hearts against what's true. And so, John gives us two tests in this chapter. Okay? The first test he gives us is a doctrinal test. Okay? In other words, what is true, what is not true. This has to do with teaching. And so if you look with me, verses 2 through 3, it'll come up on the screen. It says, By this you know the Spirit of God, that every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And so what he's saying here, and what he's dealing with there in the church, was that there were Christians who were denying two things. They were denying, theologically denying two things. One theological denial was that, that Jesus was in fact the Messiah. We saw that earlier in, in chapter 2. That, that Jesus was in fact sent from God, the Messiah. And he kind of combines that with this too. But then he adds to it here. He says, that confess that Jesus Christ has come as the Messiah. Okay, so here's the incarnation. Okay, in the flesh. And this isn't just in body, but he's, let's look back to John chapter 1, where it talks about the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Okay, is from God, so he is in fact the Messiah. And so, in other words, it's the gospel story. That Jesus came from God to live among us as a, in the flesh to do what? To die for us on the cross and, and therefore be raised to life. These are theological ideas and truths that come from here. And so, if you want to expand that, what he's saying is that we need to have, we need to know our theology, we need to know God's Word, so that we can test the ideas that are out there. And that we can weigh them. Is it hard work? Yes. Do you have to dig in and study? Yes. Do you have to read a little? Yes. You can, but you can have uh, Alexa read it to you now. So there's hardly excuses anymore, okay? Um, but, but we need to be testing the ideas. Ideas have power. Ideas have values. Ideas have a spiritual reality. Do not be fooled. And so in Romans chapter 12, we're told that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. It starts here. Okay? Now, this is where my Reformed friends and my, you know, guys who like to talk theology, and they're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> love some theology. You know, let's dig in, man. Let's, you know, we'll start debating. We'll debate, you know, superlapsarianism and, um, you know, the different views of the millennium and, you know, all these different things. And, and they start to just get into that, man. And, they just, and then they start to just argue. And, and you know, so you get on, get on the, and the internet just made it worse, you know, because you don't even have to see people anymore. Now you just argue. It's like argue this theology, argue that theology, and so on. And so, so doctor, doctrine is, true, is good, 
Doctrine is helpful and we have to know it. We need to be testing spirits. However, the second test is love. So the first test is that we would weigh the narratives in our hearts, the narratives in our minds against God's word all the time, regularly. This is why we, you know, quiet times? I, I, that's always been something that's irritated me, is quiet times. I don't know why. Because number one, I don't like to be quiet. Have you ever noticed? Um, uh, but, you know, it's like one of those little, when I was in Bible college, you know, everybody, we were forced, we had to like record when we did our quiet time. And this felt really overly pietistic and those kind of things to me. But, you know, there is a value to having daily time in God's Word. That you would know it. That would begin to transform us by, by knowing it and hearing it. And, and it begins to, to begin to saturate who you are. So get in God's Word. And then if you go to Vintage Voice, we have some resources there. There the are Bible apps. There's places you can go and listen to it, narrated. There's one I love. It's called Streetlights. And they're, 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 they have... Um, uh, they have uh, books of the Bible, uh, kind of in spoken word over hip-hop. It is awesome. I love it. So there's all kinds of ways to get into God's word. So we need to know. However, however, he does add another test here. Because you, it, the problem is we start puffing up our minds, and especially here in America, most Christians are so, um, so more educated than their obedience. You know, um, that we just become snarky and we become arrogant and critical. Right? So the second test is the love tests. So he says in verse, verses 7 and 8 here, he says, and this is beyond what we read earlier, so, so bear with me. He says, Beloved, let us love for one, one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been of God and, who, and knows God. Anyone who does not love God does not know him because God is love. So it, here's the thing. So it doesn't matter how much you know if you do not love. The Pharisees knew their Bible. Satan can quote scripture. So we have to test ideas and philosophies and narratives, but we also need to test does it come from God? Is it love? Is it love? But here's the thing. What do you mean, Russell? And then we'll go back to that Matthew passage about Jesus and get behind me. Um, what, is he, what do I mean by that? I, what I'm saying here is, that, I'm not saying love like we think love in America. Love is like, oh, I love tacos. They're so good. And, and you know, I love this. I love that. You know, and we're in love until, guess what, it gets hard. You know, or, you know, we, love is just such a frivolous thing in our culture today. What kind of love is he talking about here? The love he's talking about here is cross love. Crucifixion love. Let me, look, read on with me, verses 9 through 12. He says, In this is love. And this is the love of God. That was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world. So that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God. But that he loved us. And sent his son to be the atoning perpetuation. The atoning sacrifice for sins. Beloved, if God has so, so loved us. We ought to love one another. 
No one has ever seen God. If we love one another and abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So what he's saying here is, this is cross love. Sacrifice, sacrificial love. Have y'all seen the new Disney's Cinderella? Have y'all seen that? I love that. It came to me last night in the middle of the night. We were watching it. And there's this moment where, you know, Cinderella is this poor girl who's got nothing. And she's, you know, her, she's living with her mean, you know, y'all are seen, y'all know the story. Her mean aunt and, her, and her, her cousins and whatever are really hateful and mean to her or whatever. But then the prince comes and he finds her. She puts this, the glass slippers, the crystal slipper on. And he discovers, in fact, it was her that he met at the ball. But, it, but in the, 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 this new version of it, here she is face to face, and he realized who she is. Now she's revealed, but she's just a you know, poor old maid. And she says, will you receive me as I am? And I remember thinking, man, that is gospel right there, man. Because here it is. Here's the king, the, the prince. All the well, he can have any, any woman he ever wanted. And he chooses her in a low place and loves her in her brokenness and her, her weakness. That's the kind of love he's talking about. It is cross love. It's a love that is willing to... And and let me tell you, if you're in a marriage, it's Cinderella Cinderella marriage. Let me just tell you. If you have a spouse that's sticking with you, loving you, it's Cinderella love. Let me tell you. And it has to be. Here's the thing. Jesus came and died showing us what love really is. So when people start talking about this theology, this idea, this narrative, that narrative, let me tell you what we are called to do. Your story, the new story, this surpassing story is a beautiful, amazing story. It is a story that says one day we are going to stand before the most beautiful, most loving, the most um, glorious, splendid being in the universe. All the joys, the happiness, uh, the success, the power, the, everything we've ever longed for in our life will full, uh, all at once be full. One person put it this way. He was like, have you ever looked at a flower and thought, oh, that's really beautiful? And you, you experience the joy of beauty. All at once, just in, but it's just one little facet. And then you, you go home and you experience the love of a husband or a spouse or your kids. But you only experience that to, in itself, just there. Or you have a great meal and you, and you experience the joy of tasting a great meal or whatever. But it's, it's all by itself. Can you imagine all the joys? Every joy, every glory you could ever imagine are going to happen at once forever. That, that's a great picture of what's going to happen. And that's our story. That's our new story that God has paid for. it. We are given that. And that now our destiny as his children is that. However, we cannot forget that that story also includes a call that we would come and die. Take up your cross. Follow me. And, and the narratives... And the, the, the theologies, the messages out there that say something different are of the enemy. We, we're, not, that we're, we're not here anymore for ourselves. And, and it's so easy to start thinking that again, isn't it? I was thinking that this morning. I'm here for me. This is all about me. This is Russell's little kingdom. And, and I'm... I, and, and, 
just going having an easy morning was my little comfort savior that morning this morning and let me tell you that narrative took me out of the gospel to say that no i'm called to glory but through the cross a seed must fall into the ground and die so that it can bear fruit that's cross love so that's the second test so conclusion if you're an unbeliever let me ask you have you received this story and I, there's a lot of churches are going to say out there, they're going to say, hey, come try Jesus in these 10 steps to a better life and everything's going to go great. If you just believe in Jesus, you have enough faith, your kids are going to grow up great, your, 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 your marriage is going to be awesome, you're, you're going to have a great job, you're going to have all the money and wealth that you are promised and all of this stuff in this life. And let me tell you what, that is a lie from hell and it smells like smoke. As God's people, we are promised all that joy. We are promised wealth and glory beyond imagine. But not yet. We are called to die. To die to ourselves and give our lives for Him and for others. But let me tell you, there is joy in that. There is great joy in serving and loving others and giving yourself away. It's counterintuitive, but it's, there's a great joy there. So, but the invitation, if you're not a believer, the invitation is that, that God would receive you and forgive all of your sins and, and call you His own son or daughter and destine you for glory. And all you have to do is believe it and receive it. But if you are a believer, let me ask you, are you testing the spirits? That means digging in and trying to begin to understand the stories that are driving you and, and, the, and the narratives that are beginning to form you and how you act and how you behave. Let me tell you, some of this might be hard work. Some of it might be going into your deep past and the wounds that might, you know, you might only be discovered in counseling and those kind of things. Let me tell you, mine were. Until I discovered some of the wounds that I faced, I was reacting and doing things because of those, those experiences that had just forged in my mind and my heart a belief that, you, you know, if you're cornered, you fight. You're on your own. I mean, it was all kinds of little narratives. And they still want to drive my, my ship. Right? Remember the elephant I talked to you about? It was a, psycho, a British psychologist who, I think brilliantly, talks about how uh, we are like a, an, an elephant with a rider. Our minds and our cognitive thinking is like a rider on an elephant. And it's all these beliefs and core values and experiences and narratives underneath the surface like an elephant. And so this little guy up on top trying to drive this big elephant. And when things are going well, it probably goes well, right? Think about it. The elephant's like, okay, we're cool. I'll do what you want, right? Until there's danger. Until something bad happens. And guess what? <laughs> the ride gets rough. An elephant goes crazy. You might, or imagine a wild horse or something like that. And so that's what's underneath the surface. So we need to. So are you... Are you testing the spirits, the narratives in your lives? What narratives are driving you? And how do you apply the gospel to supplant and surpass those narratives? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. Um, thank you so much um, for your love for us that you've shown uh, by coming to die so that we might be totally forgiven and that we might be declared righteous and that we might be declared your sons and daughters. And so, but Lord, I pray 
Lord, help us to test the spirits. Help us to challenge them. Help us to, um, to, to understand what, what are the spirits, that, the, the beliefs, the narratives that are in our hearts driving us. Help us to, to supplant those with the good news of what you've done for us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.